Shammer, yeah. shammer, shammer. She called me from the Love cold. Just when I was low, feeling sort of stable. This is the worst podcast of all time. Lavender and drink. I don't know that. It's cream. Feels up on a fly. I don't know the rest of the words. So let's just start talking about suicide, right? Uh, no, I think we should talk about the fact that Fuel is a better band than Joy Division. Objectively. I would say that's true. They have more hits for sure. They existed for a longer amount of time successfully. The only thing Joy Division has done better than Fuel, well, not better. Careful. They sold more t-shirts. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't going to make a joke about dying or something. No, we, should, we would never do that. Anyone who thinks that Ian Curtis would not laugh his ass off at the fact that this episode even exists, I would say knows precisely nothing about him. It's not really surprising how many people have turned him into the platonic ideal of a tortured artist because of the manner of his death. And also because Joy Division was by design a 100% humorless band. That was a creative decision, not a total representation of who the band members or their singer were as human beings. Ian did hang himself when he was only 23 years old. That's terribly tragic. Obviously not something people do unless they're dealing with heavy depression. He also had a seriously debilitating medical condition, but it would be irresponsible for us to not have a conversation about the fetish this guy had for rock stars who died young. Yeah, it was seemed to be a, a ongoing theme in his life. Also, I would like to really say we really do need to come up with a, a term for bands, because it is such a common reoccurring theme in this podcast, where a member of the band dies tragically, usually tragically, almost always tragically. And then it's like this like rocket ship up. You know, bands never had a chance to actually have a full career and arc. So they become like demigods instantly. So Joy Division is an example of a band that had the death fetish that everyone has that allows that thing to happen. It's it's a death is romantic. Death is sexy. Death is it, that's not true. So I live in a bad neighborhood and we're just going to have some sirens going by right now, I guess. Uh but yeah, so Joy Division is one of the wow. most death obsessed. Good god. They're like kind of like the cornerstone you it is absolutely a rite of passage. If you go to Goth Night, they literally ask you, name five Joy Division songs. There were other bands that were doing it first, but they're definitely the most famous one, and it's not a coincidence. This comes up with every every band that we've done an episode on where someone died young. I mean, you can just go back and listen to the things that we've already said on this subject, but Joy Division is the quintessential one. Like, it's yes. the most blatant example of a band that is only being talked about on this podcast right now because someone died for sure. I just thought about something. If you are a person that does not have like a lot of friends, if you just want to have like instant, a lot of friends or instant credibility, drop a couple hundred bucks on a real Joy Division shirt. Like if you had like an, a real one, not like a, a Hot Topic remake, but you would instantly have friends. You would instantly have credibility in the goth community. It's just that simple. Even though you weren't alive when that album came out and everyone knows that you just spent money on it, it'll still work. Dude, you, they might ask you to like DJ the next goth night. They're like, yeah. oh, holy <laughs> shit, this guy's got a fucking real Joy Division shirt. He should DJ. You actually get to be the new bass player of Interpol. Yes, so. you, you probably will be in a band within two weeks of it happening. This is, it's, it's kind of brilliant if you're looking for a, a quick way to make friends. The bar is really low. <laughs> Positive, so many people have already checked out on this because we sound mean or whatever, but this is all a documented part of how this went down. The guy 
Ian Curtis had what I think it's fair to call a romanticized idea of the rock and roll cliche, die young, leave a good looking corpse. On several occasions, Ian matter of factly informed his wife he had no intention of living past his mid twenties. This is not a thing a person says in the throes of suicidal agony. And I would go so far as to say it seems pretty likely there was at least a little bit of posturing involved the first couple times he said that. But this is one of those sticky, dangerous ideas a person can speak into power over their own life. If you say this enough times, eventually it becomes like a no one's going to believe me if I don't do it situation. Again, not saying this guy wasn't legitimately sad, but every road begins with a couple steps. You almost feel like you've uh, uh, invested so much in it that you just like... You're going to be a poser, I guess, if you don't do something tragic. Yeah, I'm not the first one to suggest this. And there are people who knew him, were close to him and personally devastated by his death, who have said they thought he had, quote, altruistic motives for his committing suicide. And there's mm. like all sorts of complicated issues that go into this, but that's a documented part of how this all went down. It's, it's, like, it's like the least fun thing that we talk about. Oh, yeah, Which it's not actually, fun. I mean, it is actually kind of perfect, though, to talk about it because the band's name is Joy Division and it literally, from top to bottom, the beginning to the end, from the singer to what the band became, literally divides you from any joy in your life. <laughs> it literally just takes, like, any happiness and goes, goodbye. Yeah. There's no more. Goodbye. Be gone. It's bleak. Like, this is the bleakest possible artistic creation in my it's opinion bleak and then someone listens to it for the first time and they're like i kind of like this a what's wrong with you b no put it down it's not good yeah not good then, for you. You, then you decide to read about the band and now you're just instantly depressed it's just depressing from top to bottom anyway when i said that we should start talking about suicide i actually meant the band suicide oh she's not- well i didn't even <laughs> Uh, Suicide is not only a far superior band to Joy Division, they are one of the bands Joy Division absolutely could not have existed without. Ian Curtis was a huge fan of Suicide's first album, at least. Uh, One time he tried to ask William S. Burroughs if William liked Suicide, but Burroughs thought Ian was talking about the act of killing oneself, and he was like, no, I don't. (laughs) That's not cool. I certainly don't know how many Joy Division fans would like Suicide because Suicide's music sounds like it was made by people who enjoy having sex. And Joy Division is easily the most ball cell band of all time. I don't mean everyone who listens to Joy Division is voluntarily celibate, but I'd guess 90% plus of people who are ball cell certainly listen to Joy Division. This has got to be one of the most sexless bands in history. Also one of the most tattooed bands in history as far as song lyrics yes. go. Dude, I, I have a story about the insanity that it is that joy division thing whatever i don't know what what is it technically called are you talking about sound wave thing oh the the, the very most common thing do you want to wait till we talk about the shirt to do it no 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 that's whatever that's called so it's a pulsar it's like a graph of a pulsar wave i think so you know when you live in a city yeah whatever you living your life i went out to to a bar with some friends a couple years ago whatever hanging out take an uber home and when you look, unfortunately, like I do and half my friends do have tattoos and look like rock and roll people, even though I'm not in a band, which has got to be like the most common two questions I've ever been asked in my life. Do you play basketball? No. Do you are you in a band? I would guess hockey with you. No, I mean, maybe God. it's a beard. No. Yeah. Now, like maybe right oh. now, maybe with a beard. 
uh, but typically it would just be, do you play basketball because I'm so tall? But, uh, uh, so of course, because I look the way that I do, the guy automatically thinks that, you know, oh, you have tattoos. Oh, I have a tattoo. He decides, of course, do you want to see my tattoo? And I say, of, you know, what do I, what am I going to say? No, I don't want to see your tattoo. You of course say, oh yeah, sure. Let me see your tattoo. And so he like rolls up his sleeve and he has the entire upper part of his arm is that thing, the Joy Division sound thing or whatever. Yeah. And it looks, he's like, what do you think? And I, you can't be like, I, first of all, he's a Joy Division fan. I can't be too mean. I don't want him to like go crazy. He's driving the car. Maybe he's going to like crash into the car. He's if I certainly say, emotionally. First of all, Joy Division sucks. He's, he's obviously an emotionally vulnerable guy. He's emotionally compromised, <laughs> right. if not disturbed. <laughs> right. But here's the thing is that it's like a bunch of lines like, you know what I mean? Like there's oh, like yeah. straight lines and then there's the curve. You, but you put it on skin. You put it on his arm. So when you flex or move your arm in weird ways, it's all distorted. It looked like shit. Yeah. Well, but it's not the only one I've seen. People work. get them on their calves. Line work's like the hardest thing to, to get Dude, right. Dude, straight lines are insane yeah. <laughs> already. Like, I don't know. But long, the thing is, it's such a long straight line. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the whole thing is straight lines up and down and then the curved ones. I don't know. It was terrible. There are so many people who adopt Joy Division as their whole identity. This is more a religion of bleakness than it is anything to do with music, really. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I've seen Lovell Terrace Apart tattoos. Oh, dude, also. yeah, like well, just the lyrics, lyrics. yeah. Which of again, course. if you're she's lost control, oh god, gotta she's be on oh, god. over a million bodies. Oh that my way. god, at least. And if you ever run into someone with a oh, tattoo, fucking run, run. away run away it's not it's not worth it man no no it's not like a red flag it's like a red flare it's like getting it's a bullet yes. it's like getting shot there you go like you just got shot and you need to run away before you bleed out because yeah. that's what's gonna happen and i feel like it's always like the like a like a preppy guy that's super interested in some you know weird girl with that tattoo or the other way around it's it's never people within the culture i guess know to stay away from each other on a musical level though joy division just sounds like a bunch of kids who went to a montessori school where they got to pick what they wanted to learn and which was <laughs> apparently only stuff about nazis and then nothing that they ever did was graded that's what this band sounds like the vast majority of music this band put to tape is objectively unlistenable and again, this should not be surprising or controversial for anyone to hear because this band existed for less than five years and they had no idea how to play their instruments when they decided to be a band. Yeah, that's what's weird that is, I mean, I guess they're a band, but he didn't really have a career. Their career was after he passed away. Correct. The whole, and then the new bands and, you know, New Order and all those things that spurred off from that. Yeah. But Joy Division was like a blip on the radar. It wasn't, it was hardly a thing. Actually, it wasn't a thing at the time. I have a quote from Peter Hook. He said this to the music journalist, Ed Masley, quote, someone was asking me about why I became a musician and I didn't really become a musician at first. What I became was a punk and punk to me at that time was about telling the world to fuck off. I'm going to blah, 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 pass some stuff. Quote, I wasn't really interested in any way musically, blah, blah, blah. Quote, so it was interesting to be as highly regarded as we all are as musicians and as influences on other musicians when neither I nor Bernard started it for music. We just wanted to be punk and do what the Pistols were doing, which we didn't really understand, end quote. Mm. 
So there, I mean, there's a lot going on there. My favorite part, though, is not understanding the Sex Pistols. <laughs> what is there to understand? Nothing, like man. Most, what is there to understand? Their name is the Sex Pistols, which means dick. <laughs> I just when yeah, when people say that sort of thing, I'll, I, I'm just like, wait, what? Do, what is there not to understand? This is the most bottom of the barrel, basic bullshit music, and you can't even copy that well. I guess I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's some people who would hear that quote and believe this is a guy who's trying to be modest or trying to give credit to his band's influences or something. But what you need to understand is he is speaking truth on a deeply literal level. Peter Hook and Bernard Summers saw a Sex Pistols concert. They saw the crowd's reaction to a band who clearly did not know how to play their instruments. This is probably the part they did not understand. Why is everyone responding to this? Why is everyone responding to this as if it's a band when this is not a band? Mm -hmm. So they realized they could be a band without knowing how to play instruments. The very next day, Peter Hook borrowed money from his mom to buy a bass guitar. Yeah. That happened in 1976, and everyone who wants to pretend that Joy Division were some profoundly influential band, they're always going to throw around that year, 1976, as if these guys came out of the gate being the band everyone thinks of when they hear the name Joy Division. And there is recorded evidence of what this band sounded like before they met their producer. They were a completely below average, shitty UK punk band. That's it. Joy Division did not become the band you know them as until 1979. Joy Division was what you think of as Joy Division for basically two years. And my source on that is, again, Peter Hook himself, who said their producer, Martin Hannett, quote, created the Joy Division sound, end quote. They first worked with Hannett in late 1978, but I don't think he really started fucking with their sound until the Unknown Pleasure sessions, and that began in April of 1979. Ian Curtis hung himself in May of 1980. Joy Division was the band you hear on album for almost exactly one year. Mm -hmm. That's it. When you're listening to Joy Division, you're listening to something that existed for one year. Also, can we talk about the fact that it's always the bass player? It's always like, I learned how to play bass, the most basic bullshit music instrument of all time. I really like this band. I'm going to learn how to play bass. Because it's easy. It's the easiest bullshit thing. The strings are that big. Yeah, and there's only four of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you only need to know how to play two of them, really. <laughs> right, like, really, <laughs> So the first album came out several years too late to be this genesis of goth music that everyone wants to pretend it, they were. They were not this revolutionary influence on a scene, a subculture, the history of music, any, none of that shit. But before we start talking about the albums, we do have to talk about how absolutely moronic this band name is. It's... I mean, I don't even really want to say what this band is named after because it is such a terrible thing. But the fact is, Joy Division is a reference to Nazis forcing women into sexual slavery during World War II. Mm. Not fun for anyone to think about, as is none of this. It's weird in that it's kind of fitting because it's just morbid yeah. and sad yeah. and a bummer top to bottom. There's no moment of even a pinprick of light shining through this. 
It's just a fucked up name with a fucked up history with another fucked up name that it almost got called something else that was also tied into Nazism yeah. and World War II, Warsaw or whatever. When they were just a shitty punk band, the first name they used was Warsaw. They said this was partly a tribute to the Brian Eno song called Warsaw that David Bowie ruins by howling all over on the <laughs> B-side of Low. But it was also obviously a reference to the Polish city of Warsaw, which was indiscriminate bombed and destroyed by Nazis during World War II. And just to be clear, I think it's fairly evident the band chose these names in an attempt to reference the horrors of fascist violence and not celebrate it. But the thing about Nazis is they think fascist violence is awesome. So while Joy Division may have thought they were making serious little audio documentaries about Auschwitz or something, they failed to realize that documentaries about Auschwitz are basically pornography to Nazis. They were literally making Nazi pornography in band form. I mean, and I don't think he was a Nazi, but there was this pretty sick piece of shit some of y'all may have heard of known as the Yorkshire Ripper who killed at least 13 women, violently attacked who knows how many others in the late 70s. Apparently, the pattern of this guy's killings coincided with Joy Division's tour schedule to such a degree that Peter Hook and Steve Morris of Joy Division were actually questioned by police in connection with their investigation trying to catch this serial killer. The thing that's weird if you think about that is like how how many people could even I mean, honestly, could have even been at their shows. Not a lot. That's the thing. It's not like they were doing stadiums or some shit. It wasn't like there was. They were playing house shows. Right. There wasn't thousands of people. There was handfuls of people there. There's actually a really good chance that someone that they knew or talked to certainly met was this person. I mean, There's a chance that this person was, you know, encouraged on maybe unconsciously by the band's music dude all right so this raises a lot of questions i don't have the answers to i would assume the police didn't actually suspect a member of joy division of being the yorkshire ripper but uh, maybe uh but maybe they were just asking the band if any of their fans seemed like they could be a serial killer and first of all yeah they did but second of all <laughs> what's, what's that interview like uh yes officer all all of them all of our fans <laughs> could have been a serial killer but the fact that we have several extremely good reasons to suspect a guy who liked to murder prostitutes may have been interested in a band named joy division is a pretty damning indictment of this band name and the entire band, I would say. Like, what if, though? Like, unknown pleasures of what? Yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. It's a little fucking weird. Closer to what? I'm just saying it's a little strange. It's a lot strange, I think. And I mean, also, but like even aside from the being questioned by police about a serial killer thing, wouldn't you think that the second or third time a bunch of Nazis showed up to your concert expecting some Nuremberg rally shit to go down? Maybe another band name discussion in the next band meeting. Yes. Right. If you changed your name, it would probably be OK. And maybe there's something wrong if you're bringing out the worst possible fans to people come out to your shows. Man, this is really weird. I don't understand why our shows are full of skinhead Nazis. Like, oh boy. If only we knew why. Yeah, if only there was like a way that we could more accurately represent ourselves. We condemn it. What the fuck? Yo, do me a favor real quick if you're listening to this podcast. Which and, you uh, are. You're obviously <laughs> listening to this podcast. Do you think they're listening to the podcast right now? They're still listening. <laughs> yeah, I 
Yes, they're listening, yeah. We really need you to subscribe wherever you're listening. Hit the subscribe button. Definitely make sure you're subscribed. We've got merch now. What, shirts and pins and stickers and stuff? Yeah, on the website. Go to our website, yfbspod.com. Just do it. Just do it. That would be a good slogan for something. we should make a shirt. Okay. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so this band made two albums and a bunch of singles with their producer, Martin Hannett, who is, again, definitely the person who deserves most of the credit and or blame for all this shit happening. Martin said he loved working with Joy Division because they didn't know anything and would therefore listen to him and do whatever he said to do in the studio. Which, quick side note, uh, you would never know that they only put out two fucking albums seeing as how it's one of those bands that does like it gets re-released mm. and remastered reimagined remixed covers i mean good god damn i swear to god <laughs> it's as if the band still exists they recorded i think a total of somewhere just north of 50 songs total ever and i want to say that there have been at least three compilations like they've managed to repackage those 50 songs into at least three major compilations and probably even more by this point i'm positive that both unknown pleasures and closer have had special edition releases with like bonus discs of bootleg concerts attached to them or whatever any way to make money on this that you can exact thing when they're when they put out the stupid garage band or the garage disc thing or whatever it was like unreleased un you know half-assed recorded bullshit that just keeps coming out for fucking ever you would think that joy division would just broke up 10 years ago hmm. it's been 30 years it's time to move on so the thing about this producer is he's an asshole well he was a really weird guy he probably was an asshole uh but he would do all this weird shit like he'd have one of the musicians record their part and then this producer would go manipulate the speed or pitch or run it through some extreme delay effect. He had this drummer set up only one piece of his drum kit at a time and then sit there air drumming his part except for that one drum just so that Martin, the producer, could fuck with each piece of the drum kit on its own separate track. So what this guy did is basically take a bad band who did not know how to play their instruments very well into the studio and have them record everything as granularly as possible so that he could take it apart and put it back together the way that he wanted to do it. It's almost as if you're not listening to the real band play. If the whole thing is comped together, it's not him. Nobody's sitting down and playing their instrument more than one note at a time. What would the band this this could be recreated in Pro Tools nowadays? You wouldn't even need a band, right? It's it's essentially the same concept of like having someone come in and record all the common words in the English language so that they can then make automated voicemail answering messages out of it, like that kind of thing. They're basically Siri. Yeah, Joy Division is Sad Siri. Yeah, Sad Siri. Also, by the way, Sad Siri, fucking awesome band name (laughs) if someone wants to get on that. Joy Division cover band, Sad Siri. Sad Siri is a killer (laughs) band name. Um, 
on both of the Joy Division albums, half the band initially hated how much the producer had changed the parts they'd put down. Mm. So like that doesn't happen. <laughs> the band actually hated the music basically that they made. That does not happen <laughs> when the album is what the band themselves consider to be a accurate portrayal of themselves as the band. They're like, wait, this doesn't sound anything like us. <laughs> they later came to recognize it after it bought them all fucking houses. Sure. Right. Yeah. You can't like keep giving interviews and saying that you hate this shit. It wasn't even what your band sounded like. You've got to like get on board with the story at this point. This sounds like shit. Wait, what does my bank account have in it? Uh, yeah, we're cool with this. Uh, yeah, we meant to do this. This is, uh, this is the exact sound we were going for when we started the band. It was pretty cool how it all came together. So before we get into talking about Unknown Pleasures, I do want to say to everyone, you are so welcome for us not using or referencing this album cover on any of our t-shirts. I don't know, man. Sad Siri with that fucking thing might might actually pretty be pretty cool. Should we just start making fake band merch? <laughs> like merch for the fake bands oh, that yeah. we cut? <laughs> Balloon Knot t-shirt would be sick. <laughs> Do you remember be, that one? Yeah. <laughs> Is that like, it's like a punk band? It was, well, it was Slipknot episode is what we oh, came up with for right. Balloon Knot. Yeah, Balloon Knot. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole line of just, amazing like, band merch. Rip off the Red Hot Chili Peppers logo. <laughs> yeah, perfect. What if we could get sued by Red Hot Chili Peppers and Slipknot in the, the same, same lawsuit? I think it's like in the same legal brief. Anything's possible. It's worth it. It's a good goal to have, I think. Makes for a great story. The Unknown Pleasures album cover is more ubiquitous than the Misfits skull. And I'm positive far fewer people have any idea that it's related to a band or music at all. Between the two, this hit Tumblr like wildfire. I just remember like the fucking in sync version being so popular. Cause it, and it was Disney it is, did one. It, it really? Di well, yeah, Disney did a Mickey Mouse one and then like found out anything about the band and realized that they Holy shouldn't do shit. it and they pulled it before. I kind of want one of those. <laughs> That's actually pretty fucking insane. <laughs> one of my favorite things ever is corporate. I mean, it, I guess it still does happen. It, but back in the beginning of like the internet days or whatever, when popular culture things like memes like that, you know, mega corporations that are very, very protective of their imagery doing shit like that without anybody taking five seconds to like look into what they're doing yeah. and then going, oh my fucking God. That's what I'm saying. It got all the way through the Disney licensing process, I would assume. Yeah. Without them realizing anything <laughs> about what they were doing. It was just a fashion thing. Goth Mickey Mouse, man. I want to say, I, I can't remember what the shoe company is, but some shoe company has done limited edition. It was like maybe Converse, Converse high tops with the yes, yes, things yes, on yes. the side. I maybe. actually, I know there's boots. Uh, uh, there's Joy Division boots. Nazi boots, you mean? Yes, with white laces. I don't know what that means. Or red laces. What is, what is that about? I don't even know. You know what that's about. <laughs> I don't know what that even means. But also, my favorite thing about this is you know there are Joy Division fans who are all about the music, man. And they're so pissed about what these shirts have become. And oh. I guarantee you they just lose it. Once a month, maybe running into someone because like in the circles that they travel, they're bound to see some asshole wearing some well, Joy is, Division quoting is, shirt. It's no different than in the, like in REM when we talked about like, yes, oh, I saw him in 92. When did yes. you, oh, you saw 93? And I have a t-shirt oh, to prove 90, it. The 93 yeah. tour. Oh, oh, wait. Uh, have you seen mine? It's 92. I saw him in 92. That's exactly the Joy Division thing. That's why I was saying like if you if you had 
If you invested in a real Joy Division shirt, I have no fucking clue what that would cost. Did they even exist four though? Or four or five hundred? I don't know. I bet this band didn't even make merch while they were still a band. Okay, even if you bought early merch, like you know, actually from the licensed from the band, yeah. early on, or the first time it was made or whatever, who knows when that was. You would, yeah, you would instantly have friends, but you would also have to know what you were talking about because it is one of those shirts that if you wear, everyone automatically thinks you're a poser unless you can name five songs, which you can't name the big song. Name five B-side rarity remixes, bitch. (laughs) You can't. Poser. Here's my favorite thing about that happening with this Joy Division shirt, though, is y'all fuckers don't listen to Unknown Pleasures either. You know that you don't listen to that album. Like, even if you're going to listen to Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures is not the one. You know this album is terrible. You thought you liked the song Disorder for a couple years until you got sick of the ridiculous whooshing sound effects. You got sick of that pretty fast, right? You did like She's Lost Control when you still thought the idea of Crazy Girls Fuck Better was interesting or true. Uh, the song Insight sounds like they recorded a toy alien gun over half of the song. One of these songs contains the sound of someone eating potato chips. You know the actual most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> I actually have a really big pet peeve about listening to people eat. I yeah, fucking hate it. It makes worst. me cringe instantly. Instantly gross. Eating potato chips just makes you want to fucking die. <laughs> so I just think it's really funny and telling that this is the album cover on all of the t-shirts. The, if you were to do like a, a, a graph or a, maybe a Venn diagram of bands that people say that they love. Yeah. I love, but also the most skipped artist Dude. on any playlist that yes. they have guaranteed joy division is at the top of that list i love joy division every time a song comes on on a on a, on a mix uh let's fucking skip this depressing shit. for sure if you have an unknown pleasures t-shirt you may as well wear a shirt that says i have to skip nearly all the songs on my favorite album yeah the only songs on that album that are even close to listenable are shadow play and wilderness and shadow play may have the joy division lyrics that sound the most like a door song mm-hmm. most of shadow play comes off like a rewrite of the first verse of la woman city and night come on man no i don't want to i don't even want to listen to it. i i unfortunately uh, listened to this band way too much for this episode and it just made me sad so i have uh instead uh listening to meditation app on repeat trying to drown it out of my brain there are a lot of times on this show where we'll be talking. So, P.S., I know She's Lost Control was written about a girl with epilepsy, but 99.9% of people who listen to the song don't know that. There are so many bands that we talk about where a, the meaning of a song will be misunderstood. So, like, I could have totally seen when we come to hit Joy Division, oh, I just thought that band was sad my whole life, but then I looked into what these songs are, and they're actually not that sad. No, they're just, like, worse. Like, when you find out what these songs are about, the things they are directly referencing, it's always actually worse. Joy Division is the perfect example of the more you learn, the more you know, the worse it gets. There's no light. It's depressing. There's no light at the end (laughs) of this tunnel. And no matter how much you love New Order and think that that somehow washes away the sins of Joy Division, it just doesn't. Also, Age of Consent, weird fucking song. 
Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, these dudes didn't learn anything. Not just dudes. These young, these people did not learn anything when Joy Division ended. They kept on going with their fucking weirdness. They just made it nicer and more polished, and thought it would be really cool to sell depressing bullshit with like a catchy hook. So there's this weird thing that UK bands did in this period where they released singles that they never put on albums and then they made albums that never had any singles released from them. So there were no singles released from Unknown Pleasures. And then the first Joy Division song to really get played on the radio was the non-album single Transmission. And if you like listening to a bass player beat the same two notes to death for the duration of an entire song, you're going to love the song Transmission. Man, you remember when uh, uh, Metallica put out an album and didn't have, like, there was no bass on the entire album? <laughs> what if that just happened everywhere? That was a sick move. Like, what it would be awesome if they just took the bass out of Joy Division songs, it would be perfect. I would like to hear most of <laughs> the albums on, say, like Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums Ever, if someone just took the bass out of all of those songs, that would be pretty interesting. The list wouldn't change. It, wouldn't, no. <laughs> it would just be the same and everyone probably wouldn't even know that anything changed. That's true. Actually, I mean, could you imagine Red Hot Chili Peppers songs without I literally the was bass? just going to say yeah. that. <laughs> That's the only one that would really be different. <laughs> that was the only one, I guess. Yes, yeah. And maybe Primus. The, they're not on that list. They're not. <laughs> There's no way a Primus album is on the 500 greatest albums of all time. You think so? I would think so. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't like Primus. Primus sucks. I actually, really don't like. Primus. Someone slipped LSD in the water at Rolling Stone magazine that day. If there's a Primus album on that list, I would not be shocked. Um, okay, so now one of Joy Division's first reviews called them the missing link between Elvis Presley and Susie and the Banshees. I do agree Susie and the Banshees were another band Joy Division absolutely could not have existed without. And anyone who does not think so needs to go listen to their album The Scream from the year before Unknown Pleasures came out. But Elvis Presley had nothing to do with Joy Division. It's like just like picking out a name out of a hat. Yeah. It's all just a complete bullshit. So I think what might have happened is I think that this journalist was consciously trying to avoid mentioning what had by that time become an extremely uncool band, which is The Doors. It's also possible that, so he probably, this journalist probably would have been writing about the song Transmission. So it's also possible that he thought Ian saying, dance, 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 dance to the radio was sincere. And that made him think of Elvis, maybe. That's the only thing I could think. But there's so many other parallels that would, singer-wise. It does, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's dumb, dumb, totally idiotic like comparison i would say the song transmission it sounds much more like craft work mixed with Susie and the banshees maybe quick side note if we ever did a craft work episode it would be like 10 minutes long nintendo music sucks okay <laughs> thanks for listening to our fucking podcast see you next week <laughs> terrible shit anyways yes i agree if you're I can't. You don't like to listen to that for no, 20 minutes? I, 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 there, are, there are very few things that I remember in my life. I remember the first time I ever listened to Joy Division, like legit can remember it, because I remember thinking, oh man, so many people that I like or look up to their musical taste, they fucking love Joy Division. Oh, Joy Division, oh my God, you don't know about it. So I listened to it, and I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely fucking terrible why does anybody like this i remember thinking that exact thing i can remember the first time i listened to Kraftwerk, and i was like 
what the fuck am I listening to? Now, maybe I don't do the right drugs. Maybe I need to be more depressed and or think that the people who wrote the soundtrack to Mario Brothers were genius. But I, I, I don't know. I think they just both suck. Joy Division's worse. I definitely, but I, I think for me, Kraftwerk, I was like, I don't get it. What the fuck do people like this? This is so dumb. Joy Division, I was like, no, this is bad. Yeah. This sounds like shit. Well, it's bad in a lot of different ways too. But uh, so the dance to the radio part of the song transmission was definitely a criticism of conformist society because that and being sad are the only two things that every Joy Division song is about. Ian Curtis clearly saw Nazis and fascism as conformity taken to its logical conclusion. And this is the idea he hits us over the head with in pretty much every Joy Division song. It's fascism as a metaphor for modern society. He is not screaming and yelling about dancing with militaristic persistence and zealous rage because he wants you to dance. He is calling you a member of the Hitler Youth. And honestly, I don't think that either Tool fans or Joy Division fans are willing to recognize how similar their favorite bands are to each other. There's a very direct correlation. It's a lot. And it's not just this antisocial rhetoric. The way Hannett recorded each drum individually so they could be mixed and panned to separate spaces, plus all the delay effects that he's using, it often makes it sound like Steve Morris is doing some wild Danny Carey shit on the drums. And you've obviously got a bass player taking a much more prominent than usual role in carrying the entire melody of a song. Meanwhile, every now and then the guitarist does something to remind you that he's there. Mm -hmm. That's that's Tool and that's Joy Division. Yeah. Yes. To a T. Literally the same. Now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in posts all the time, I see. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter. Or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm -hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with, his favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. We do have to talk about Ian Curtis's dancing a little bit, right? This is like a be real careful what situation. Sucks, seems what like. sucks about what you, I guess, his dancing, I guess. <laughs> Is that, uh, I had to cough. <coughs> you got the, you got the COVID, bro? Mm-mm. You, you passing the COVID around? Mm-mm. What sucks about not laughing, his dancing is that it justified so many other people, other people's terrible dancing. You think to yourself like, oh my God, look at this doofy guy dance like a doofy Hitler youth wannabe guy. Oh my God. I can do that too. Yeah. It must be good. And then, you know, here we are. Everyone dancing like a fucking moron at goth night. It, it never went away. It justified every white guy's terrible dance moves for an eternity. It is weird that he didn't do the goth dance. <laughs> no, he didn't the do The sidestep uh, thing. What would you consider, what would you call his move? Well, they, his band members called it the dead fly dance for some oh. reason, which is weird. Cause like dead flies are dead and they don't move. I don't know if they meant fly with its wings pulled off dance. Dead maybe flies. Yeah. Dead flies is like, 
They're dead. So look, people dance how they dance, you know, and dancing is dancing. I get what it's for. But to me, this falls under the same umbrella as band members dressing exactly like people in the audience who came to see the band. You just don't fucking do it. You're on a stage. Nobody came here to look at everyone who bought tickets. They came to see a show. You should not be dressed like everyone who bought tickets. You should not dance like everyone who bought tickets. You should be better at something. And if the people in the crowd, first of all, dress like the people on the stage, you'd be like, what the fuck, weirdo? And then second of all, what if the people in the crowd started doing the dance? I wonder what the fuck would that be so weird? I want Ian Curtis might have been an influence on the Carlton. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, probably kind of. Yeah, kind of. Maybe. Um, so the next non single, sorry, the next non album single released after transmission was the song now known as Atmosphere, but which was originally titled Light and Darkness, but in German because, you know, Nazis. And this is the one where Ian says, walk in silence, don't walk away in silence about a hundred times. I mean, Ian Curtis was such a bad singer that it's maybe almost admirable. I, like, I honestly don't know if it's right to even call him a singer. I'm not sure he's trying to sing. Like if he's actually trying to hit a specific pitch with his voice on purpose, I certainly cannot tell. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That, is there a term for that? Kind of just like talking into the microphone at some weird oh, no, that's what monotone ne- pitch that anyone and their mother could do. That's what Nico does. And Ian Curtis makes Nico sound like Pavarotti. But again, like with all the you people are the Nazis and you don't even know it, any social stuff, it seems plausible he may have been trying to prove some kind of point by not singing well. Like that could have been a comment on singing as far as I know. It is weird how many bands that people have launched absolute like God tier level musicians that absolutely suck at every aspect of their entire career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the singer can't sing, but their God level shit stained music is amazing. Oh, none of them can play their instruments. Holy shit. It's like unbelievable music. It's just the best. I mean, I would say if this atmosphere song does it for you, I can only imagine the album that the cure recorded around the same time would blow your entire mind. The cure recorded 17 seconds right after coming off tour with Susie and the Banshees. Robert Smith actually played guitar in the Banshees for two months. And the entire album that he made after doing that is pretty great. Yeah, I don't know why you would even listen to Joy Division ever after The Cure becomes The Cure. That's okay. Yeah, well, I, it was fun. Joy Division is cool, but I'm moving on with my life. It's not like you have to accept all the bullshit parts of Joy Division because of how sad everything is. If you're really trying to just go for pure sadness, there are other options on the table. That's It's musicians. It's like people who know how to play music and sing. Yeah, you might look at the singer of The Cure and Robert Smith and think to yourself, Oh my God, that's a grown man that still wears makeup and has goofy hair and he's a hundred, but you know, they did, they did everything that Joy Division did, but a lot better and gave you actually a spectrum of music to listen to. They didn't just write sad music, right? There was a little bit more intricacy in their songwriting. If you wanted to have a good day, you could listen to good day. The cure. They got pretty poppy there for a while. For sure. I would say they got very poppy. Yes. 
Um, and then the B-side to Atmosphere was Dead Souls, which is the one where Ian yells, they keep calling me about a hundred times because evidently if you're Joy Division, you don't have to actually write songs so much as find a four to six word statement and repeat it ad nauseum. Yeah. Dead Souls is the one that sounds like a 45 of a Stooges demo played at 33 RPM. The Stooges and Iggy Pop have to go on the list of artists Joy Division could not have existed without. Iggy Pop's first two solo albums came out in 1977 when Joy Division were still trying to figure out how to sound like the Sex Pistols. And if you've never listened to The Idiot or Lust for Life, then you need to pause this episode and take care of that before you do anything else as stupid as living this long without hearing those albums. There you go. The Idiot was the last album Ian listened to before hanging himself. And not to get too morbid here or anything, but if he made it all the way to the end of the album, then Mass Production was the last song he heard in this life. And holy fuck, what an amazing song that is. I'm into it. Let's go. Because Ian Curtis was dead for two months before the album Closer came out, I feel like a lot of people heard it as sort of an unfinished project that they mm-hmm. released because it was all they had and sort of judged it accordingly, you know, not like, like they would have right. if he was alive. Right. We'll give him a pass. These songs sound like unfinished demos, but that's because producer Martin Hannett wanted them to sound like unfinished demos. And there are still all those dumbass sound effects all over the place. On the first song, Atrocity Exhibition, I swear it sounds like someone's playing a film projector, but it's probably Martin fucking up a guitar track or something. Just like chopping and screwing and twisting it all to shit. They were doing so much cool weird shit though, dude. It's like so groundbreaking. I can't remember if it was Peter Hook or Bernard Summer who said that they thought it sounded like a cat being strangled the first time they heard it. Oh, so perfect. Let's put it on the record. And also many of these songs are no doubt still just about Nazis doing bad stuff. But again, because Ian was already dead when the album came out, a ton of these lyrics straight up read like a suicide note. And it is super not fun or funny to get into it. So we're just not gonna. Yeah, honestly, we could just. I mean, the last three songs on Closer are some of the darkest shit you will ever expose yourself to. And I would go ahead and encourage you to just not. It's okay to just not. You don't have to witness this. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a, a really shitty movie. It's like, a, you know, when people tell you, like, it's okay to just not watch it. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. Like, if somebody said, don't watch uh, 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 Closer the movie because it's depressing if you're in a if you're the married N- natalie portman in a wig one? yes yes yeah. exactly okay. don't let's don't watch that movie you don't have to watch the movie and get fucking depressed you don't have to listen to the album and get depressed i'm really even more fitting to this episode schindler's list like you don't have to do that to yourself i've never seen schindler's list it's not a fun time i know i don't want to see schindler's <laughs> list i'm sure it's absolutely amazing and i'm sure it's really informative and really moving I don't have the uh, bandwidth to be depressed for a fucking week after watching it. Especially not at this particular moment in history when we are planning the sequel, apparently. I just fucking hate fascists already. Yeah. I don't need to know how fucking terrible fucking fascists are. They're fucking terrible fuck fascists. Yeah, got it. It's, It's 
fully fully covered so there were again no singles released from the album closer which is again not really a surprise considering means to an end is the only track i can imagine getting played on the radio without listeners literally calling into the station to complain and that's only because it's an aggro ripoff of bella lugosi's dead by bauhaus another foundational song recorded months before joy division started working on unknown pleasures with martin hannett Probably also check out the song Dark Entries by Bauhaus because Ian Curtis likely saw the band perform that song live when he went to a Bauhaus concert while recording the album Closer. Because I am not ultra familiar with every single Joy Division song ever made, there have been multiple times where uh, my wife, who I love dearly, uh, she's great, uh, will have like, you know, like the new wave goth playlist playing in her house and I'm like, you know, why? I don't know, put the earplugs in or whatever. Maybe you make her sad. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just playing in the background, whatever. And I have actually wondered sometimes when songs like this come on, I'm like, wait, is is this Bauhaus? I've actually thought that multiple times. Yeah. It has crossed my mind. I'm like, wait a second. Oh, no. And I'm like, what is this? And she's like, oh, it's Joy Division. I'm like, what yeah, the like, fuck? Is this Bauhaus's worst song or is it Joy Division? Is this like a shitty cover of a Bauhaus song or something? So then the big non-album single released at the same time as Closer is, of course, Love Will Tear Us Apart. One of the worst songs ever written or recorded by anyone anywhere. I mean, I don't know, man. This is... It just sounds like the first thing that, you know, some kid gets a fucking keyboard for Christmas and yeah. I'm going to learn how to play piano and goes... Doo, 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 doo. I mean... That's musically nothing happens oh my in this God. entire song. It starts one way and it stays that way. And it just keeps being that way the whole time. Yeah. In real. What's weird is that it kind of starts in this like yeah, powerful. Oh shit. Oh shit. What is this song going to be? And it's then like, no. Ah, you know what I mean? Like it's really cool. And then it goes. It sounds like they're going to drop some sort of instrumental hook or musical punctuation after the chorus, but everyone just keeps hammering away on the same thing they've been doing the whole time. Like this song is the audio equivalent of a small child kicking the back of your seat on an airplane. It's just relentless. Also, what is it called? Because you're like the the music uh, uh, smart one. What is it called when the uh, singing just follows the root note? Love will tear us apart again. It's like, you know what I mean? Like it's technically just, it's called the Ozzy Osbourne syndrome. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Where, where the singer just We're sings just, the riff. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That's what everyone does when they first start out. Yeah. That's the most basic thing. Let me write this simple little progression of notes and then I'm going to sing the exact tune. It's pretty difficult to imagine this song was a hit for any other reason than people found out that the singer of the band had died. This song was a hit when it came out, but it almost has to be because the singer of the band died. I mean, one of the things I found researching this episode, I don't remember. I think the show was called Eight Days a Week, uh, like a show in the UK. It, it seemed like the purpose of the show was to have a live panel who then like did a discussion of recent media. Mm -hmm. So on this one, it was Morrissey from the Smiths, George Michael from Wham!, and then some other guy I don't know. And one of the things they were talking about was a book that had just come out about Joy Division. And this is way before the story had been canonized. And like, we're all supposed to know that this is one of the most important bands of all time. And both George Michael 
and Morrissey accepted as a matter of fact that none of them would be talking about the band if Ian Curtis hadn't died. Morrissey, before we look at the book, um, perhaps you could try and explain the extraordinary appeal of Joy Division and now New Order, speaking as a fellow Mancunian. Mm. I don't know whether I could explain it. Um, well, they're treated quite unlike any other band in Britain, yes, really, aren't they? Are. I think um, I think most people I think most people's vision of Joy Division is entirely coloured by the death of Ian Curtis, and it's always really the, the really only factor that that um, people seem to discuss. Um, Joy Division were one group that that I, I really didn't take to that much. Did you used to go and see them, Manchester? I saw them a few times by accident, and, <laughs> but I, could, I, I can now completely appreciate their appeal. But I look upon Ian Curtis and, and certainly New Order as neither singers or, or lyricists, but uh, as symbolists. I think they were quite accurate uh, and they, um, they, they had the spirit of, of the times. And, but I think it was totally false. It was like people saying, well, yes, this is how life is, totally without emotion, which of course they weren't. And we are totally hard people, which of course they weren't. It was like this complete affectation uh, of people wanting to be something that they weren't. I find it quite sad, but in a musical sense, I hear nothing whatsoever. Also, what's really weird is apparently George Michael was a huge Joy Division fan and specifically the b-side of closer which is just like again the darkest shit that's ever been recorded maybe so strange and it's really really it's it's kind of sad honestly to think about george michael sitting around listening to that george um i wouldn't imagine you as a joy division fan maybe i'm wrong you might be wrong i might be wrong <laughs> um and i actually really liked joy division or particularly their second album well closer. closer i thought closer the second side of closer is uh, one of my favourite albums. It's just beautiful. I mean, like musically. Twenty-four hours sounds like. Um, I can't remember. There was, there was the Eternal and uh, uh, yeah, Twenty-four Hours. There's, there's, there's just four tracks which I don't even know the listing of, but they, they're just beautiful musically. I didn't actually see it. I thought their image all the all the way through liking them. I thought their image was pretentious and contrived, and it did have very fascist elements to it. But um, I thought the music was great. I thought it was quite good the way they didn't they didn't harp on about um, the death because that was like I thought that was almost like them it could almost have been engineered it was like awful it was the way the way that they were elevated after Ian Curtis's death was really sick. Both George Michael and Morrissey are are just so matter of fact and on the record about this song blowing up because of Ian Curtis's death. I mean, and I swear there could not possibly be another reason for it. You can hear the drummer completely fuck up his part at least twice in this song. This is one of those songs where Martin Hannett didn't have the drum parts all separated so he could put it back together. You can tell you're listening to a live drum part and the drummer like completely <laughs> biffs at least twice in the song. And what's crazy about Love Will Tear Us Apart is that I just saw... I guess it was two summers, maybe a couple summers ago now, we saw, uh, uh, went to Riot Fest and uh, uh, got some free tickets. I didn't buy them. I don't, su I don't support music. Okay. <laughs> they were given to me. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I saw New Order was like the headliner and like they, you know, play all their New Order stuff and, you know, their ultra pop, fun, fancy stuff, whatever that they play. But then they finish they're in their set. The last song they play is Love Will Tear Us Apart. Talk about just taking a shit on everything you oh just finished. Oh my God. But the thing is, is like they, they do it like in this like kind of upbeat way. Yeah. But it's weird because you're like, well, that's not this song. You're trying to new order this song that you wrote that's actually really fucking depressing. 
But what's crazy is that it's just a shitty song. It's dumb. It's not even good. So there's these people on stage that have been playing this shit for literally almost 40 years at the time. The real interesting thing about New Order to me is, I mean, of course, and obviously New Order is like a hundred times better than Joy Division as a band. No comparison. Probably strictly because they realized they should let computers do half of their (laughs) job. Yeah. Okay. Yes. By that time, it was just like, oh, wait, you're going to play keyboard? Okay. Let's really like focus on the keyboard and all the weird sounding shit we can do with that. That way, the drummer never has to learn. No one has to learn how to do anything in the band except for the keyboard player and the producer because it's always about the fucking producer. Always. Yeah. It always will be. It's always about the producer. Most of the bands on this podcast owe everything to their producer. And that's how those bands ended up on this podcast. Yes. If you are in a band right now, don't listen to your producer. Yeah. And we may never do an episode on you. Perfect. We could actually, that is true. How many times we have talked about how the producer is the one that made the songs what they were. How many times the producer, dude, I actually know stories of bands that are huge bands where the guitar player could not play guitar and they would actually comp their guitar together. And they come in the studio. Oh, I don't remember playing that. Well, because they never fucking played (laughs) it. You didn't play that. You didn't play it. Dude, it's either the producer did everything or the producer secretly hates the band. I would say that covers 90% of the bands that we've done on this show. Yeah. I don't know who's the most depressing band, but Joy Division's got to be one of the most depressing bands we've ever covered. Easily, man. I can't even think of who would be sadder. The Shins, maybe, but not for the same reasons. Yeah, different. I mean, any episode that we do where someone's dead is not is kind of depressing just by nature, but usually their music isn't just only depressing. It has depressing yeah. elements. Like, so when we do Alice in Chains, well, yeah, it's fucking sad that the dude died. You know, but and there's some depressing songs. I would put Alice in Chains right up there with Joy Division as far as I depressing would too. music goes. I would goes, say that they honestly. just have a, a couple songs that Except aren't. Except when they were a good hair metal band before they became depressing as shit. Yeah. Early Alice in Chains, way better. How much just depressing shit has been made because of these bands, though? Like movies, like singles. There's so many. Gus fu- Van Zant movies. There's so many depressing, <laughs> shitty fucking movies like art is so much shitty depressing art in general is made because of there have been there have been two whole movies that wouldn't exist without joy division they that 24-hour party people movie joy division is a huge character in that because it's basically the the story of factory records their label um and then there's a joy division biopic like this band does not get a biopic based on the two albums that they made that's not an argument. That's a non-starter of an argument. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. You think Hollywood gives a shit about these two albums? They don't. The truth is, too, is if, if New Order never existed, if the, all the members of Joy Division decided to just go their own separate ways and become teachers and whatever else they decided to do with their lives, we probably would not be sitting here talking about Joy Division. Maybe. There's a good chance that we wouldn't even be here. I really want to know when the t-shirt thing started, man. Because do you realize how you could make a mint selling fake vintage Unknown Pleasures t-shirts? Oh like even God. if the, Even and especially if the band never actually made them while they were still a band. Yeah. Because there's not a real thing to compare it to. 100%. artificially get some vintage dead stock blanks. Yeah. Artificially distress... Oh, your shit. screen print job. It would have to be screen printed because yeah. that's all they would have had. There's already just huge money in that shit. But definitely, honestly, for a fake 
Joy Division shirt, I would not be shocked if you could, like, 400 bucks, $500. Dude, easy. Like, and you could be like, this is one of the originals, whatever, whenever even that was. Like, who was the first person to do that? I have no clue. I've, I mean, I think you could get, like, close to a grand for it, honestly, because it's I possible. see, even in the vintage stores that are starting to pop up here, now that shit's getting too overpriced, vintage shirts that are just a tour short, like a journey shirt that's, mm-hmm. like, 300 bucks. Yeah. I would say that Joy Division has got to be so much yeah. more. Exactly. I mean, goth kids aren't spending their money on dating, so... They're not spending their money on anything. They literally sit at home and do what goth kids do. I don't even know what that is. Wait till the next goth night. She's lost control again. She's lost control. I think we have comprehensively covered all of the reasons why if Joy Division is your favorite band, your favorite band sucks. You are welcome for another life-affirming episode of Your Favorite Band Sucks. If we didn't bring enough joy back into your life today, well, maybe you'd have more fun watching us on YouTube. We've been uploading video of our recording sessions ever since the Pearl Jam episode, and hey, since I'm sure a lot of you are wondering why in the fuck this episode started with Mark and I singing Fuel, here's a little outtake that will make way more sense to everyone watching on YouTube right now. App is short for application, not appetizer. You learn something new every day. It's got to get turned this way. Because of me. Because I'm far away. You're so far away. Too far away for me to hold. <laughs> Too far away. <laughs> that is a song by the band Fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Hemorrhage. Is that the name of that song? That is the Maybe. No, hemorrhage is the love lies bleeding in my hands. In my hands again. That's hemorrhage because it's about bleeding. Is that that good? I mean, yeah, it looks good to me. Maybe Maybe a little bit more. more. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably good. All right. The song that I was singing was... um, Recording, preview, not available. Either Shimmer or Glimmer. Shimmer, 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 Shimmer. She calls me from the the cold. cold. That's when I was low, feeling so unstable. This is the worst podcast of all time. So yeah, exactly what you'd expect. Just Mark and I singing some late 90s, early aughts alt rock while getting our cameras set up. Definitely go to yfbspod.com to buy some official podcast merch and grab links to whatever episodes you feel like bumming your friends out with on any given day. And when this podcast returns, we're going to do something that many people have requested, which is talk about some songs we do like. And we've decided the best way for us to do that is by taking advantage of a feature exclusive to our new host, which allows us to insert full songs into episodes. However, this only works for people listening on Spotify. If you don't want to listen on Spotify, hey, we fully get it. There is a reason I just plugged our YouTube channel, where we will also be uploading the next episode in an oh-so-trendy-right-now reaction video format. So yeah, if you want to hear or watch us talk about some music that doesn't suck, those are your options. See you there.